we're in for a good afternoon. <clears throat> but uh, just looking at that video, how many of you could tell that you are looking at a hologram? You get it. We're living in times of unprecedented technological innovation. Uh, when the things that we watched in sci-fi movies when we were younger are becoming a reality. We've got holograms. Uh, the U.S. Army is talking about introducing laser guns. And we've got space taxis or drone taxis. And with all this technological innovation, you'd imagine that we are becoming wiser. We are becoming better at living. We're becoming wiser with how you use our time. But when we look at the world around us, when we look at the politics, when we look at the economics, when we look at people's lives, the answer, unfortunately, is no. It feels like we're living in crazier times than we've ever lived in before. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about how we can live with wisdom in an age of foolishness. And we'll be going together through Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 15 to 17. Now for you to understand where we're going with my message, I want to make three basic points. Firstly, that God deeply cares about how you live your everyday life. Secondly, that we each have a, a critical, a decisive choice on whether to live wisely or foolishly. And finally, we need to ask God for true wisdom. And as we make these big theological points, I'm going to try and draw some practical application for our daily lives. But before we do that, let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truths we're singing this morning, that we are no longer slaves to fear. Thank you for your perfect love, which drives our fear. Thank you that uh, we can come to you to draw strength when we're afraid. Your word is not toughen up or do better, try harder, work it out, but you invite us as a father. Thank you, Lord, for a promise that you qualify the disqualified. Lord, you, you just don't give second chances. You give new life. And this is whom we want to encounter and listen to this morning. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to make these truths real into our hearts, cause our hearts to be fertile soil that will bear an abundant harvest for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So my, my, my four-year-old son uh, taught me a new Swahili word last week. Uh, you know, as he was playing with his friend, I'll just hear him say his friend's name is Hachi. So he'll be like, Cindy or Hachi? Whenever he wants her to agree with something that she's not agreeing with. So this morning, if you hear me saying, Sindio, I just need to hear some feedback. So we'll read our text. 
I'm reading from the ESV. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So God cares about how we live our day to day. And just before we come into this text, Paul was waking up the Ephesians. He says, wake up, O sleeper. And today, as we were praying before the meeting, someone prayed that this word would be a wake-up call for us. And that's for anyone here who might have been already dozing off. I just want to zero in on uh, verse 15, where the Good News translation says, so be careful how you live. And so when Paul is talking about being careful how you walk, he's talking about our lives, but not the sum total of our lives, but the daily decision, what can be described as a walk. And Eugene Peterson's message translation puts it this way. So watch your step. Use your head. And so Paul is calling us to give careful consideration to how we live our daily lives. You see, we want to have a great story within our lives. We, we want to leave our mark. We, we want to make something significant out of our lives. We want to make our lives count. But what really counts is what we do on a day-to-day. What really counts are our daily rhythms. If you want to know what mark you're going to leave on the world, if you want to know, are you going to really make your life count at the end of the day? Just look at your daily diary. What is it that you're doing every day? You see, God not only cares about what we believe, but he cares deeply about what we do. In fact, what we believe is fully expressed in what we do. And so as we, as we pick up this walk, uh, this theme of, of, of walk, it's a very important theme in Ephesians. In fact, Paul uses this verb seven times. And to give some context, I just want to take us back to the first time he uses it in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just read from verse 1 to 4. And it says that, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so what Paul is saying in that text is that there was a way the Ephesians used to live, there was a way that we used to live, or there's a way that we can live, there's a way that we can structure our daily rhythms, there's a way that we can build habits that reflect that we are dead in sins and trespasses, this is dead to God, that reflects that we're walking and living and doing everything that we do according to the movement of our culture, that we are under the power of the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that we are completely without self-control. And the end of that is that we are children of God's wrath. And my friend, if, if you aren't sure this morning that you are 
a Christ follower, if you aren't sure this morning that what we're singing about, that you are a child, that I'm a child of God is true about you, if you aren't sure that Jesus has come into your life, this reality is true of you today. And I want to warn you that the very end of that is God's judgment, torment, despair. This is next level serious. But now Paul doesn't leave us in despair, for in the very next verse, he puts a, but God. And if you want to know why, we gather on a Sunday morning, why we wake up early, why we sing these songs. It's because there's been a but God in the story of our lives. But God who is rich in mercy because of the great love, literally the mega love with which he loved us, you he made alive and raised you up and seated you with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. This is why we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because if God could do that for me when I was dead, what more when now his new life lives in me? But I want us to jump to Ephesians chapter 2. And when we read the, the, uh, the word walk, I just want us to read that together. I'll, I'll jump to verse 8 and we'll read to verse 10. Where it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so I want us to see in this text how, how God takes that, that old life that Paul was talking about at the beginning, how, how, he, how he takes those, those people who are completely against him and by his grace, which means that it's totally undeserved, it's totally unearned. In fact, the, the person who thinks they could work themselves through their effort into God's credit is only digging themselves into deeper debt. The only answer to sin is God's grace. And so through his grace, God saves us. This is, he rescues us. This is, he, he makes us alive. He takes us where we are. He takes us from where we're running and he turns us around. And he gives us a completely new life. But not only is he concerned with our past, not only is he concerned with our present, but we see that God has a whole plan for our future. That we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared for us. In advance. And it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. You might have started this morning not sure, am I a child of God? Not, not clear on where you stand. But if you believe these truths that we've been singing, if you believe what I'm sharing today, you can become a child of God. Today, this grace can come to you. Today, God can give you this new life, this new purpose, this new future.
And if you're wondering, what does this have to do with technology? It means that there is a way to use technology and spend our time that reflects the old life. And then as you come into what God has in store for you, as you come into the good works, there's a way to use technology and spend your time that reflects this new life. However, there's a big but. I mentioned the but God, but now we come to a big but for ourselves. We each have a critical, decisive role to either live wisely or foolishly. And so if we jump back to our main text, we see Paul saying, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Give careful thought to what you're doing every day. Not as unwise, not as those who are living in the old reality, not as those who haven't realized what God has done in your lives, but as those who are fully aware. We come into verse 16, where Paul shows them that being wise has to do a great deal with how we spend our time. And so he tells them, redeeming the time. Use your time well. Make the most of every opportunity. He uses a commercial term. You know, why, why, why would he use a commercial term of, of redemption, something to do with the market? Because he's saying, time is the currency of our lives. You and I have as much time in our day as the President of the United States. If you wanted to know what, what do I have in common with Joe Biden, we all have 24 hours in our days. And so it doesn't matter what, what is the station in your life, whether you're, you're a student, whether you're a parent, whether you're working, whatever you're doing, time is the currency of our lives. And I, I want to be clear that this morning it's, it's not a message on, on better time management. This is not a message on living productive lives. I'm not like Elon Musk saying, hey, I'm working 16 hours a day. Look at what all we're doing with Tesla or promoting kind of the Chinese model. Have you heard it? 996. Has anyone heard of, of the 996 concept? Working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. In fact, the Chinese want to put in a law to force parents to give the children more time to play and reduce the time for homework because it's just so intense. But instead of that, I want us to learn from this 4th century preacher, Chrysostom, commenting on this verse, he says, It is not from any wish that you should be artful, that is clever, and versatile, that is more productive, that he gives this advice, that is Paul. But what he means is this, the time is not yours. At present, you are strangers, 
your sojourners and foreigners and aliens. Friends, the time is not ours. It belongs to God. You are not your own. You are, you are bought at a price. It's the unwise steward who, when they've borrowed something, they, you know, imagine you've lent someone your car and you say, hey, this is the way you're to use it, you're to drive it this way. And then they, they take the car, they drive off, and then they're just looking in the rearview mirror and say, okay, is he gone? Now I'm going to drive it however I want. This is how it is when we take our time and use it as if it's our own. I'm not talking about becoming the, the best version of yourself. I'm, I'm not bringing in the, the idols of, of individualism. You, you want to reach self-actualization while time management is, is the answer for you. I, I, I'm not talking about materialism. You, you want to be successful? You want to be prosperous? Then, well, manage your time. I'm not, I'm not bringing in hedonism, you know, that if you want to be fulfilled, if, if you want to live a pleasant life, then you need to manage your time. Friends, I, I'm talking about serving the King of Kings. I'm talking about responding to the one who came and, and took your old life and gave you a new life. I'm, I'm talking about eternal rewards. I'm talking about one day you will stand before him and I want you to hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, my reward is in my right hand. So not only is this time not ours, but we need to be aware of the context we live in. So Paul says the days are evil. Friends, we're not living in neutral times. We're not living in a neutral space. We're not, the tech space is not neutral. Technology itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But the direction and the movement of our world is toward godlessness. And so this is why Paul has to give an Asian wake-up call. Say, wake up, O sleeper. This is not a time to be asleep. This is a time to be awake. This is a time to be careful. This is a time to redeem the times because the days are evil. Let's hear what the great 16th century reformer Martin Luther says about the times they were living in. He says, Paul calls the present world evil because everything in it is subject to the malice of the devil who reigns over the whole world as his domain and fills the air with ignorance, contempt, hatred, and disobedience of God. In this devil's kingdom, we live. You can always trust Martin Luther to, to call a spade a spade. Let's hear what theologian R.C. Sproul says about this verse. Christians are called to live in a context of spiritual crisis. Evil is rampant in the culture around us. As long as the kingdom of God is in conflict with the powers of darkness, it may be said that the days are evil. And so in Paul's language, 
foolish, unwise, ignorant living is living as though you don't understand what God has done for you. You don't understand that time is a precious gift to be invested, living as though you don't understand that Satan is at work in the world and living as though you don't understand that God has got good works prepared for you, opportunities for good and reward. This is foolish living. You see, it's, it's important that we get it because it's not automatic that you'll stand before God and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not automatic that we'll come into the good works that God has prepared for us. It's not automatic that we'll make good and wise use of our time. It's, it's not automatic that you'll, you'll, you'll have a good marriage. It's not automatic that we'll raise our children well. It's not automatic that you'll make wise decisions. And so Paul really wants us to get it, that we have to give careful attention to our lives. So take care how you use technology. Take care how you spend your time because the days are evil. And at this moment, I'd love to invite my beautiful wife. She's just going to share a little bit about her own walk in relation to technology and time. Okay, babe. Um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your own journey with technology and time? Okay. So I'll try not to ramble because I can talk a lot. <laughs> People who know me personally know that I've got a gift of the gab. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, but um, I think, um, so from the time we were young in our family, screens were always a big thing and entertainment. So like you'd go in the kitchen, the radio would be playing all day long. At home, we were, got a satellite dish quite early on and we were on the dial-up quite early on. So screens were always a big thing in our family. And I think that never shook. So yeah, got saved and loved the Lord with all my heart. But I found that as internet became more available, so did I make my time more available for it. Um, and I think I'm now at a place where I could say I was actually addicted and internet had become, I mean, the screen had become an idol for me personally. Um, I think it took me a long time to come to that place, but it was something that um, I had to now actually face. It was a hard thing to admit because I loved God, right? And to actually think that I have an idol in my life was like, no, like there's nothing wrong with me. I actually love God. Just leave me alone and just let me scroll and refresh the page quickly <laughs> and see what updates have come up. So I think... Um, that's been my journey with technology. Um, okay, cool. Um, but it's, it's not just negative, is it? No. I think, so those of me who also know me personally know that I'm currently studying a master's in education. 
um, and it's an online degree. Um, so I use, yeah, I'm basically online. I have to be online to be able to talk to my peers and to do my assignments and all of that. So it's online based. Also, those who know us know that we homeschool our kids. So we also use some form of technology to also just keep like, even just getting like good curriculums and just being in touch with other homeschooling families. We also use quite a bit of technology. So it's not like been all negative. Um, yeah. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> What we're trying to kind of do with that interview is to just really get practical. And from the interview, I think you can see that there's two sides to it, that there's, there's wise use and there's unwise use. And I just want to get into a bit of practical detail on that. Because as Paul goes further in his letter, he shows how these great truths that he has given us should apply to marriage. How these great truths should apply to parenting. How they should apply to our everyday work. And the same is true to our use of technology and time. And so for, for married couples, it is wise to use technology in a way that draws you closer together and builds you up. This could be keeping in touch when you're far from each other. It could be synchronizing your calendars. It could be capturing memories or sharing mutual entertainment. In fact, just last week, I, I sent Michelle a calendar invite. Say, hey, I want to take you on a date on Monday. And so if you try and call me on Monday, I'm unavailable. We're going on a hot date. But it is unwise to use technology in a way that you drift apart in your relationship. I don't know if the same is true here. But in Zim, many a fight in marriages have started when one of the spouses tries to get a hold of the other spouse's phone <laughs> just to look at the messages. There are lots of suspicious names saved in there like Fundi or... or Something else. But it's when you now trace, how often are you calling Fundi? Why are you saying to Fundi, sweetie, I love you? That it becomes dangerous. And so, don't use technology in a way that distracts from being together. So some of the decisions we've made in our marriages, we didn't want to have a TV in, in our home, basically. But now, you know, we've got many screens. And we don't want to have devices in our bedroom. We want to safeguard our time. It's not, it's not easy. We're, we're not perfect at it. But the idea is that we move in the right direction. And for parents, it's wise to use technology to draw you together as a family. To, you, you can use it as a family time. You can watch a movie together. You can use it to discover the interests of your children and, and cultivate some skills that they might have. You can, you can use it for, for education or for training in different things. But it's unwise to use technology as a, as a virtual babysitter. Right? We, we, we build high walls 
to try and protect our families. We, we, we go into gated communities to say we want safety. And yet, we give unfettered access to the internet. I'm not sure whether you'd entrust those very people with the lives of your kids if they were here in person, but you're happy to do it because it's virtual. It's unwise to allow technology to, to intrude on times when you can be talking together and, and playing games and, and having other fun that's unrelated to screen time. And I, I just want to say a word to, to our young people, especially our teens and, and kind of their age group, that don't buy into the culture that says, well, when you become a teenager now, you need to isolate yourself and you, you just need to be on the screen with your friends and it's not cool to be with your family. It's okay to, to bang doors and, and sulk. That's the culture of the old life. And so this, this gives a, a challenge to, to those who are parents because someone said, children are incredible hypocrisy detectors. And so when you're saying, well, you know, this is time for us as family and I, I don't want you to be doing that. I want us to be together. But on the other hand, in your right hand, you're checking your emails, you're then that's the culture that we build in our families. And looking at our work, it's, it's wise to use technology to, to be focused. It's, it's wise to use technology to be productive. It's wise to use technology to grow in skills, like Michelle is doing, to, to be relationally connected, even within your workspace, to be efficient, and, and also to be able to identify new business opportunities, right? Facebook didn't exist like 25 years ago, but now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So there are business opportunities in, in, tech, in the tech space. And as Africa, we are looking to create jobs and create businesses. So it's wise for us to be in that space, to be looking at what can we do? How can we fit in? How can we serve? We're not saying technology, boo, isolation, yay. No, but it's saying wisdom, yay, foolishness, boo. And so it's unwise to use technology as a distraction, as a time waste. And you might say, well, I don't have a job. So I'll just watch season one to eight of Game of Thrones over and over again. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm single. I don't have kids. I don't have a spouse. Right? I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> that is so ridiculous if that's what you say. But the point I'm trying to make is that we need to use our time wisely. So if you don't have a job, could you be trying different business opportunities? Could you be adding skills rather than just seeking for consumption and entertainment? 
If you're single, could you be connecting with other people in community to grow your faith? Could you be growing yourself as well? We each have a critical choice to live wisely or foolishly. And so as I come to the final point, just want to remind us that I've said that God cares deeply about how we live our day-to-day lives. And secondly, that we each have a critical choice whether we're going to live wisely or foolishly. And finally, we need to seek God for true wisdom. And the reason why the world we're living in is such a mess, the reason why there's so much craziness is because we've rejected the wisdom of God. And what Paul says is that wanting to become wise, we actually become fools. It's surprising when you talk to people. I love to talk to, to young people about different things. And recently I was, I was talking to someone about their relationship. So they, they're just finishing college. They've got a, I don't know whether I can call it a girlfriend. They've got a baby mama, okay? So she's, they've already got a three-year-old child and she's pregnant. And like, okay, do you want to get married? Mm, yeah, maybe next year we'll pay dowry. Like, okay. Uh, have you thought about some pre-marriage counseling? Mm, no. You know, I, we don't really need that. Like, dude. You guys have already got kids. Obviously, you needed some advice on how these things work. And it's like, oh, no, you know, I know what marriage is all about. It's, it's all about finance and sex. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Where did you hear that? Right? You, you can't make life decisions based upon what you saw on Twitter. A one-liner can't tell you all about life. When we come to Scripture, we find in the beginning, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's, that's the wisdom of God. So now we live in a world where, yeah, I don't know. Am I male? Am I female? I don't, I don't actually know. We've got a baby, but we, we're not going to assign gender to it. We, we don't know. Is it, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Like, I don't know. We'll wait for them to grow up. They decide. They tell us. We live in a world where people know how to get a girlfriend or, or a boyfriend, but you don't know how to get a wife. You don't know how to get a husband. We, we know how to make kids, but you don't know how to parent. And now, this might not be true of Kenya because people are so hardworking here, but in other places, now people don't even know how to get a job. They, they don't know how to work, pay the bills, right? What are you doing with your life? Man, I, I don't know. And so we see that true wisdom can only come from God. And so, just as I close, I want to share two practical ways that we can grow 
in our wisdom that comes from God. Two ways that we can, as Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Two ways where we won't be ignorant, but grow in wisdom. And these relate to technology. The first is we need to go deep and not just wide. Right? We, we live in a world where it seems like we've got unlimited availability to information and content. Whatever I want, whatever I need, I can get it on the internet. But what we're seeing is that people are going wide and shallow, but not deep. Where your worldview is now shaped by one-liners on Twitter. Where your image of yourself is shaped by what you've seen on Instagram. And we met in life group this, this past week and Reino shared this wonderful word where he says that he felt he was, God reminded him of going to the coast and how as you go on the beaches, as you get into the water, you've got the, the, the coral and those are the shallows and you need to go further to get into the deep water. And that God was just calling him and I feel that God is calling us as a church not to be a people who wade in the shallows. Not to be a people who just go wide, but who go further and go deep. Now, if I, if I asked you, okay, not, not everyone will know. What was the score between Man United and Liverpool last weekend? Even before I've finished the question. The answers come. The response on Google is there. And if I'm like, okay, what did, who preached last week? And now we start to scratch our heads. Uh, and okay, what was she talking about? Oh, uh, we're, we're in the technology series, right? And if I ask who was, who was in the Man United team for when they lost to, to Liverpool, you, drrr, who's been in the Man United team for the last five years? Drrr, what happened in the finale of Game of Thrones season eight? Drrr, we're there. But you find, I've, I've never re read my Bible from cover to cover. I'm, I'm a bit sketchy. But when Satan comes to, to Jesus and tempts him, the answer is, it is written. It is written. Friends, the, the wisdom that we need for the evil times we're living in need us to go deep and not just wide. The second thing is that we need to slow down and quiet down. We, we are living in such a fast-paced world where you feel like if I don't see my email on my watch, I'm falling behind. If I, if I don't get the latest news. Someone, Brett McCracken, he was commenting that now it seems that all the news is breaking news. When I grew up, we had one channel and the news was on at 8 o'clock. And that's when we got our breaking news. But now anytime I go on the internet, breaking news. We're living in a, in a fast-paced world where... Even in the, if you're in the loo, you, you don't feel you've got time. You see, someone's busy catching up. We, we've got no time just to stare at the walls. You're stuck in traffic, well, I'll be on my phone. 
But when we come to Scripture, we see how God set up the rhythms of Israel. He says, six days shall you work, and on the seventh day, you cease from working. And one commentator says that in that expression, by dedicating one day out of the seven, they were communicating that all time belongs to God. And I know many of us, we do have quiet time or a time to read the Bible or, and pray, but it's kind of like, okay, let me do this and then I get to do everything else. So what I really want to do is that, but I, I just need to do this thing and then I'll get to do the rest. But that's not the expression of saying all my time belongs to God. And so I want to encourage us to get into to, to the habit of building communion with God into our rhythms. Not simply as a discipline, not simply as something that you need to tick on your box or your checklist, but as an expression of dedicating all of your life to God. And I want to finish by reading one more quote from 16th century reformer John Calvin. And he says this, Time cannot be dedicated to God without being in some way redeemed. And what shall be the price of its redemption? To withdraw from the endless variety of allurements which would easily lead us astray, to rid ourselves from the cares and pleasures of the world, and in a word, to abandon every hindrance. Let us be eager to recover it in every possible way. Friends, Jesus redeemed us by sacrificing himself. And so, my call for us this morning is to endeavor to dedicate our use of technology, to dedicate our use of time in response to his great sacrifice. We'll end there.